life, you cannot make anybody else do anything. I, I learned that early on in a, a class I took a long time ago, a little book that I read, and it made a lot of sense. And basically it said, you can't make anybody do anything. And so when it comes to relational issues, sometimes it might seem out of our hands and all we can do is try to influence and pray and persuade the best that we can. I've been in situations where things have seemed to be out of my hands. I was in Colombia. I'll be very careful here because sometimes I have a few friends in Colombia, South America, that I've noticed they watch us online every once in a while. I got a message from from one the other day, it was really neat. He sent me a video clip of, of myself from when I was down there. So I won't use the name of the person I was riding with, but I was in a car riding from point A to point B, and I will tell you, I felt like my life was out of my hands. <laughs> if you have seen the, the way that the driving is very different in South America, just in general. We were in Honduras one time, I was in Colombia once, the driving is quite different. The philosophy of driving is quite different and a little chaotic in general. But I remember going down the mountain or up the mountain or I don't know which side of the mountain we were on. And it felt as if my life was out of my hands. And I'm in the back seat and we're crammed in this little car. And there were I don't know how many people of us crammed into this little car. I had to put my arm out the side window just to have a little bit more space. And I can remember all of a sudden, just by default, as we're swinging those curves and he's just going like crazy, I remember not even thinking and I just found myself saying, Lord, if I have done anything wrong, please forgive me. <laughs> I'm not lying. <laughs> I was making things right. I was making sure everything was right in my life with the Lord. Things felt out of my control and out of my hands. I remember, some of you may know this, some of you may not, but my former life, my former career was education. And for many years, I was a school principal. And what I realized is that people get nervous. Even adults, even adults would get nervous coming to the principal's office. So after I realized those things, I started to change my approach with that many different times and thinking, you know, okay, how can I make somebody feel a little more comfortable, a little more at ease? But I think people walk into a principal's office, especially a student, but many times parents and many times teachers, and they feel like things can be out of their hands. And I guess that can feel that way in a lot of cases we go into certain positions or certain areas. Thought about a courtroom. Thought about a courtroom. One of the most alarming things I think that I've experienced in my life, of, of, I was going to say a few years ago, but it was some number of months before I came over to pastor here, and I've been with you for four years now, so, so somewhere around maybe five or so years ago. I remember going to Richmond, and there had been some people, you may have read about this in the newspaper, there had been some people who had been greatly taken advantage of and there had been embezzlement of I would dare to say millions of dollars and I had a friend who was part of our church over at Gordonsville and her and her husband had been fell victim this was a former UVA football player and he had gone into this business and he was allegedly investing money 
for people's retirements, but he was actually spending their money. Remember going to that to sit with the family and with the friends there and just so support. And I think it was a multiple day thing of going to Richmond and sitting there during that trial. But you're talking about feeling things out of your hand. When that man came in after all of that had been said and done and he had said his part and others had said their part, this man's life was in the hands of that judge. Now that's a sobering thought. That is a sobering thought. I don't want to live my life in any way where it puts my future or my family's future in somebody else's hands, right? And that's a scary thought. And the man had to stand before this judge, couldn't say a thing, couldn't do a thing, couldn't go anywhere, and listen as the judge says you're being sentenced basically for the rest of his life in prison. I remember sitting there that day, his teenage daughter, a few rows in front of where I was at, and as the verdict was given in, the teenage daughter just falling over into the chair, weeping. But people in the courtroom who had been victims of his began to cheer and clap, and the judge called order and quiet, be quiet, scolded them. This is not a time for celebration. But I watched as this man, they took his hands, bound his hands, took him out the side door, the door closes. That's a pretty solemn thought, isn't it? That's a pretty solemn thought. How much more solemn this morning is the thought of our eternal destiny? When we think of our eternal destiny, we think that we stand in front of the sovereign God of this whole universe. And on that day, to hear him say either well done, good and faithful servant, or to hear him say depart Hear, hear your pastor this morning. Can you imagine standing before God? We all will stand before God. Can you imagine standing before God and hearing him say, depart from me. And being cast into an eternal darkness, an eternal hell, a real place that the scripture, Jesus talked about hell more than I think anything. Being cast into an eternal hell. You thought talking about feeling out of control, talking about not having things in your, in your hands. That's a sobering thought, but I want to preach this morning, not a sobering thought, but a great thought. The great thought is this, that through Jesus Christ, our sins can be forgiven. Now, now's a good place to say amen. I've been funny, I've been somber, now I'm going to preach some good stuff to you here. We can have our sins forgiven. We can have our eternal destiny secure. You and I, through Jesus Christ, can be saved. I'd like to hear another good amen right there. You and I can be saved. You see, we can look at our sin, we can look at our past, and none of us can go back into any part of our past. None of us can journey back to anything. We cannot change anything that we have done that was wrong, that we regret. It's out of our hands. There's nothing we can do. And the enemy would like for us to think that it is hopeless, that you have messed up too many times, what you did was too wrong, too severe, it's out of your hands, and you're hopeless. But Jesus Christ says differently. Jesus Christ says, I can do what you cannot do. I can, in my hands, I have the power, the authority to forgive your sin, to cleanse your life, to make you in right standing. With me, The word that I'm looking for this morning, the doctor, do, uh, doctrinal word that I'm looking for this morning is justification. 
There is a concept in scripture of justification that means just as if I never sinned. He can't look at me and say you're innocent because I'm not. Through his blood he will forgive me and not declare me guilty. What does he do then? He declares us justified. Just as if I never sinned. And if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior today, you have the legal standing before God of justification. You are justified not by your actions, just by the fact that you received him. And we stand before God knowing that our eternity can be secure in him and our lives can be secure in him because of his grace, his mercy, his justification. So as a Christian, I tell you this morning to relax, rest in him. Don't let guilt and shame and condemnation, accusation, Pull you down. If you have given it to God, then you stand justified, not because you didn't do it, but because of what he did. And he has imputed that to you. We rest in him. We rest in him. Hebrews 4.19 says, There remaineth a rest to the people of God. If you read, and I hope that maybe you will this week, if I should be so bold to assign homework on a 9 o'clock Sunday morning, maybe mark Hebrews chapter 4. And maybe take a little time and read Hebrews chapter 4 this week. And if you have a little study Bible, maybe study it out a little bit. There's so many things in that chapter that I won't be able to really cover today and, and do it all justice. But what he's talking about here, the writer of Hebrews, is using the comparison of the Sabbath and he's talking about the Sabbath day. And he's talking about how God rested on the Sabbath day. But he's tying that into the fact that if we aren't careful as Christians, we'll try to work and labor and toil to make ourselves right and to make ourselves what we, what we want to be when what we need to do is turn it over to God and rest in his provision. You see, the Sabbath is just a picture of the rest that God wants to give us on the inside, the peace and rest that he wants to give to the believer on the inside. All throughout chapter 4, he's also talking about the Israelites as, as they were being led out. It's interesting, they sang that song this morning because some of that ties to that story. But he's talking about how they, through their unbelief, their disbelief, were not able to enter into the rest. They were not able to enter in to the promised land. Many of them died in the wilderness. And he's making the point here for us as Christians, believe what God has done for us, what God is doing for us, what God will do for us, and rest in the work of God. Rest in the work of God in your life. Rest in Christ. If you have asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, rest in his forgiveness. Rest in his grace. Rest in him working in you. You say, I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. None of us in ourselves will ever be good enough. But if we allow him to forgive us, if we allow him to work in us and through us, he will cause us to grow more and more like him. We can rest in his working in our 
lives. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say. Not only do we rest in him, we trust in him. Somebody say that word, trust. We trust in him. I heard a story at prayer meeting here on Thursday morning. And if you don't work, if you have Thursdays available, come and be with us sometime at 10 o'clock. Uh, Pastor Allison, Sister Allison lead that. It's a wonderful Bible study and prayer meeting. Goes about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. Come and be with us. But I heard a story at prayer meeting about Dorothy. Dorothy Morris. I'm sure just about everybody sitting here, or at least those that have been around here for a little while, you've heard that name, Dorothy. My understanding that, that Dorothy worked in the children's area for years and years and years, maybe even decades. They told the story on Thursday. They said that when a child would be brought to her, new child, as many times new children will do, snubs, you know, they'll be crying. You don't want me to illustrate that, do you? They come to crying. And, and she had this philosophy of that. If the new child was coming in and the new child started crying or was crying, as children do sometimes, they're upset to be away from their parents. She wouldn't make them sit there and cry it out or or go through this, and I'm sure there's all kinds of strategies with that. None that none of which I want to learn. <laughs> just by the way, I'm glad to do adult ministry, but I love the children. But she said she would pick up the child and take the child back to the parents. And here's why she would do that. She said, "If the child does not trust me, I cannot teach the child." And she said, "I have to build trust." in the child first, and then I can teach the child. I thought about that in, in, in relation to us as the children of God. Do we trust God? If we really trust God, he can teach us some things. I want to tell us this morning, just, just like I said last week in salvation, that he came and found us and came pursuing us and came looking for us. I believe that's the same concept when it comes to trust this morning. I believe God does everything that he can to build our trust in him. What is trust? Trust is a form of faith. Faith is believing and trusting. Faith is believing and trusting. Why do you say that God has, does and has done many things to try to build our trust in him? Well, one reason is because the Bible says that God has given to every, every person a measure of faith. Every single one of us were born into this life with some faith put in us. Every one of us, he has already set us up for success. He's already set us up to start believing in him and set us up to already start trusting in him. He has already found us and is working in us to build that trust in our lives. If I could say it this way, it almost seems to cheapen it too much. But I, I put in my notes, he wants to earn our trust. He, and he, he has done so many things to earn our trust. And he is trustworthy. Do you trust him today? Do you trust him with your eternal soul? Do you trust him with your eternal destination? Do you trust him with your day-to-day -day life? He is a God who we can trust. And we can trust him in everything. Hear me this morning. And we can trust him every time. We can trust God with everything. And we can trust God every single time. We trust him. We rest in him. 
We trust in him. Look at Hebrews 4.2. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. He's referring to the children of Israel who also heard but they didn't believe. But the word preached didn't profit them. It didn't help them. Why didn't it help them? Because it was not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. It is possible for all of us to sit here this morning and hear the gospel. But are we listening to the gospel through faith? Are we believing the word of God? Is it mixing with faith in our hearts and in our lives? Or is it just like Charlie Brown's teacher? Is that Charlie? Am I in the right sitcom, Charlie? I'll ask the young crowd up here. They're probably too young to even know who Charlie Brown is. Logan knows. <laughs> right? Is it possible to come to church? Is it possible to turn on good teaching or good singing or good preaching or whatever and it just become noise in our ears? I know it's possible because I've, I've been guilty of it before. But when I engage what I'm listening to, when I engage the gospel presentation and I mix it with faith that's coming from my heart, then God can do something with it in my heart and in my life. Somebody say amen this morning. The good news is the gospel is for you. It is for you. You have to believe that. There, there's, there are more people probably than we would want to think about that think it's, it's not for me. It's just not for me. I can't live it, I'm not good enough, whatever the case, and they just say, it's, it's just not for me. But there's faith inside of you, that measure of faith, and grab a hold of that in your life and say, wait a minute, I've got to start believing the gospel is for me. This good news is for me. This God who gave his son, he did give his son for me. I, I know I'm not worthy, but he did it for me. If you're sitting here this morning, you say, I just can't accept that all this could happen for me and all this is for me. I want to promise you, God is for you. God gave his son for you, just for you. If you were the only one, he would have given his son for you. Somehow in our hearts and our minds, I don't know what it is. Maybe sometimes it's low self-esteem. Maybe it's because we've had relationships in our past that have beaten us down. Maybe it's failures or what. I don't know the reasons, but so many people just, it's not for me. Not for me, but it is for you. The gospel is for you. You can believe it. You can trust it. You can accept it into your heart and into your life. We rest in him. We trust in him. And then we are secure in him. We are secure in him. Do you know he knows your thoughts? He knows your heart. He knows when I'm sitting in church thinking about that steak and baked potato. And that, he knows my thoughts. He knows my heart. But we can be secure in him. I want to try to make a point here. Look at verse 12. For the word of God, the Bible as we call it sometimes, the word of God that's been assembled together is quick and powerful. It's lively, sharper 
than any two-edged sword. If you have a two-edged sword, that means when it goes in you, it's cutting. And when it comes back out, it's cutting again. Two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit. What's that mean? It gets down deep inside of us. Just to say it very easily. It gets down deep inside of us. To the joints, the marrow of the bone, inside the bones. And is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. He knows my thoughts. He knows your thoughts. He knows the intents of my heart. And what I'm trying to say right here is if I have a mind to serve God, I can be secure in serving God. If my heart has made up its mind to to serve God, He is a discerner of my heart, and I can be secure in him, and I can serve him. He knows. If I mean business with God, God means business with me. Where where are our thoughts? Where, Where is our heart? Is our heart and our mind really made up? Have we really made up our mind? Have we really made up our heart that we are set after God? We're going to serve Jesus Christ. If we really have made that clear, he knows it. And he will help us. And we have their security in that. He will not cast us aside. The problem comes in is when we're double-minded or when we really don't have our heart in it. And then we find ourselves in a whole other situation. I hate to admit this to you this morning. But I sat yesterday for about two and a half hours and watched, of all movies, The Little Mermaid. Don't judge me, Logan. The Little Mermaid. Thankfully, we were at the Alamo, so I was able to have the endless popcorn and the endless Coca-Cola and maybe a small pizza. (laughs) Maybe. Well, I did give one slice to Aaliyah. But the girl, the mermaid, had her heart set on living outside of the water and there was nothing that was going to change that there was no body that was going to change that her heart was fixed on that she was fixed on that what about us in our lives today what is our heart fixed on if our heart has truly been transformed and is truly fixed on serving Jesus Christ and we say you know what his relationship my relationship with him is more important than anything else if our hearts have have made that declaration he will help us somebody say amen and we can be secure in him we can be secure in him look at verse 13 neither is any person any creature that is not manifest in his sight. Everybody, everything, every, everything seen and unseen is seen by God. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of God whom we have to do or who we have to live before. God sees everything. Where is my mind today? Where is my heart today? This should stir us in different ways. If we're living for God and we can sit here this morning and we can say, I have a made-up mind and my heart is set on Christ, then we can know if we fall down, we're going to get back up. If we sin, we're going to make it right. There's security. We're going to make it. We're going to live for him. We've made that decision and we're going through. 
Or if we're sitting over here and we say, you know, I just have to be honest and my heart is just not in it anymore. Or my heart has never been in it. Or I just don't know, my heart is divided. Then this word today says God sees your heart, but thankful he, he is coming to you wanting to build your trust and wanting to build your faith and wanting to change your heart and you can be saved and you can serve God. When I give my heart and life to the Lord, let me, let me dig around that word justification just for about a minute and a half here one more time. When I give my heart to the Lord and I've been regenerated, when I've been born again, he declares me to be justified. That means my past is no longer held against me. That's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. It means that my present, my standing before God is a son of God. With full rights and full privileges. And then it also means there's a future connotation to this justification. It means that one day I will walk fully in my justification and I will have a full rest and a full reward. That means I have something great to look forward to as a Christian. Such a beautiful doctrine of justification. There is security in Jesus Christ. Somebody say security. Let me tell you what I'm not preaching. I'm preaching eternal security this morning. But I'm not preaching unconditional eternal security. It is possible for us to rebel against everything that we've known and everything that we've pursued. And, and walk away from our faith and rebel against God. And we use this term in old times, backslide, backslidden. I still believe that people can rebel and backslide and walk away from the faith. But if I keep my mind fixed on God, that's what I'm preaching today. If I keep my mind fixed on Him, if I keep my heart fixed on Him, He will help me live this life and I can be secure in my salvation. Somebody say amen this morning. Praise be to God. That's a beautiful thing. So we, we rest in Him, we trust in Him, and finally we are loved by Him. Did I say finally on the last slide? You know, we get four or five landings. Pastor says, in closing, it means absolutely nothing. Pam, Pam, sweet, kind, wonderful Pam over here, went to this ceremony last Monday for the veterans. It was beautiful, beautiful. And, and the speaker got up and, and said he was going to start closer to the ending. And she, she kind of like told me I ought to do that. But the laugh was on her because he was pretty long-winded. So I said, that's fine. I can do that because he still went a long time, right? So <laughs> we are loved by him. Look at this scripture with me as we do start heading towards the close. Hebrews 4.15. For we have not an high priest. We're talking about Jesus, our great high priest here, a savior. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. I'm going to get to verse 16 in just a moment. He is touched. What he's saying there, they're using negative terms. Let me just say it in the positive of what the writer is saying. Jesus is touched by the feeling. Of your infirmities. Somebody say feeling. Ever heard somebody say they're all up in their feelings today. <laughs> He's all up in his feelings. 
You know, feelings are a whole interesting ball of wax, aren't they? But if you're feeling it, it's real to you. And God cares about it. Did you hear me this morning? If you're feeling it, it is real to you. And God cares about it. What I see in this verse that maybe I don't know if I've ever quite seen it. I was just walking in a random place the other day and this verse hit me and this thought hit me and I felt like, wow, I've never thought about that. As our great high priest, as our great savior, he has paid the price for our infirmities, for our sins, for our sicknesses. He's taken care of all of that if we give it to him. But this scripture is taking it even deeper and saying he doesn't just care about dealing with the sin and the sickness. He cares how it makes you feel. He loves you so much that that thing that has happened to you or that situation that is happening right now in your life that hurts you so deeply on the inside. You can't maybe put words to it. You can't describe it. But down deep on the inside, that hurt, that emotion that you feel, he is touched by that too. Down deep on the inside. What is it that you're carrying today? What is that hurt? Something that happened maybe years ago. Something that happened maybe days ago. Something that you might be walking through currently. Whatever it might be, maybe there is an, a feeling, there is an emotion that is murdering, burdening you. It's hurting you. It's pulling you down. Pressuring you. You have felt it. He cares about that. He cares about that. He cares about what caused it. He'll take care of that. But he cares about the effect that is left on your life. Are you, are you here this morning and maybe you have some hurt deep down in your heart, in your mind, and you say, it's painful. He cares. He is touched. He gets you. He feels it. He is touched by the feeling of your infirmity. If you feel it, he feels it. He can touch you this morning. He can touch you tomorrow. He can help you through that hurt. And he can bring healing to that hurt. He doesn't just save. He doesn't just heal. He gets down deep on the inside. And those effects of this life that have left us wounded. He can touch us way down deep. He cares. He really cares. Here's our application. Here's our response. I'm going to open the altars this morning. Hebrews 4.17 says this. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We are loved. I am loved. You are loved. He loves us so much that he has found us, extended the invitation to salvation to us. He loves us so much that he will, after we have received him, he will help us live for him. We can be secure in him. He can keep us. He is able to keep that who is committed to him until that day. He loves us. And he loves us so much that the hard things of this life that have pulled us down, he is touched by the deep feelings in our hearts and our lives. And he can touch us. He can heal us. He can lift us up. 
So what do we do? Knowing all of this about Christ, knowing all of the things that Christ has done, the writer of Hebrew tells us, this is a little bit astonishing if you think about it, let us therefore come boldly. If I need salvation, I can come boldly, not because of who I am, but because I believe who he is and what he can do. If I need help from the Lord, I can come boldly before him. Not because of what I have done, not because I can earn it, not because I can be good enough for it, not because I can do anything, but because of who he is. And the writer said, if you really put your faith in Christ and you really get a hold of this thing and a hold of who he is, you can get up out of your seat and you can say, I'm going boldly to the throne of grace to get what I need, not because of myself, but because of him. He said, come boldly, not arrogantly, not flippantly, but confidently. What do I get when I come boldly? He said, get to the throne of grace that you might obtain or receive mercy. Am I the only one that needs mercy? Anybody else, any other of God's children need some mercy? I need some mercy. I need his mercy every day of my life. Amen. I need his mercy. Well, guess what? His mercy is extended. He said, come boldly so you can get the mercy that you need. If you need my mercy every day, my mercy is there. If you need my mercy in the morning, my mercy is new every morning. If you need my mercy at noontime, my mercy is there. If you need my mercy in the evening, it's there. Come boldly. My mercy is there for you. And then thirdly. Find grace to help. You ever feel like you get just kind of close to being able to do what you need to do, but you just can't quite finish the task, you just can't quite make the step, you just can't quite accomplish whatever it might be? That's those times, it can be very practical things even, when we say, Lord, I need your grace to help. I need your grace to help. And from the smallest of things to the biggest of things, he will extend his grace to help us in our time of need. What is the time of need? It's whatever you need. It's not too big and it's not too small. It's not too major and it's not too insignificant. Would you stand with me this morning? If they'll come and play some music for us today, would you bow your heads? Close your eyes. And I want to ask you this morning, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? If you don't know the Lord, or if you stand here today and you say, I'm not sure. Well, if you're not sure, today's a good day to make sure. Amen. If you don't know the Lord, or if you're not sure of where you stand with God, I'm going to invite you to come to this altar and to be saved. Ask the Lord to come into your heart and into your life. You can receive him right where you're standing if the Holy Spirit is drawing you. But this altar is open as well for you to come. Maybe you're standing here this morning and you say, I need that mercy. I need that mercy in my life. 
want to tell you, you can receive that mercy. You can come confidently into his throne and you can say, Lord, help me. Lord, I need your mercy. Or maybe you say, I need that grace to help in the time of need.